As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I hope you've been having an awesome week. I certainly have. I am right now orienting a new nurse to our unit, so I'm having a really good time doing that. And let's see, had some interesting patients lately, lots of respiratory failures. Seems like even though we mostly get our respiratory failures in the winter, like the flus and pneumonias. Had some pretty interesting respiratory failure cases the last little bit, and some of it is allergy asthma induced. So, thinking maybe we should do a podcast or a post about status asthmaticus because it's not just as simple as giving them an albuterol treatment and sending them back home. So, look for that to come up soon. But today, what we are talking about is something that you can start putting into practice right away in your clinical rotations, or maybe you're a new grad, or maybe you're a nurse moving to a different floor, and you really want to be organized. So what we'll be talking about today are routines. And I am here to say that having a routine, actually a multitude of them, will go a long way toward making you feel organized, efficient, and like your brain is in order. I have to tell you guys, I have this reputation at work for being the super organized nurse. Seriously, I just write everything down because if I don't write something down, I'm going to forget it. And I also have strict routines that I adhere to. So the very first routine that I use every day is my start of shift routine. I call it my SOS, start of shift. And this is basically just the little things that you do at the very beginning. I find that on the days when I can't do my start of shift routine, like say a patient is crashing or I get an emergent admit or a rapid response transfer, then I'm a little off for a little while until I can get that routine done. And what it entails is first thing I'll do is get report on my patient. That is the very first thing. And after I get report, then I will get on the computer and look at a few things. One of the things I'm going to look at are lab results. I want to see that day's labs. And then I want to look back a couple of days to the trends. Can you guys hear my cat meowing in the background? He's very needy. I apologize on his behalf. And then after I've looked at the lab results, I'm going to look at the at the medications at the MAR and see what meds the patient is taking overall and the meds that I'm going to give. And I put those, I write those down on my little run sheet. I think you might have seen a post about my run sheet. Um, 
So I kind of have a schedule for what I'm doing that day as far as giving the meds. I look at the orders and get an idea of what needs to be done. Am I doing wound care? Am I getting the patient out of the bed into the chair two or three times? Are we going for any diagnostic tests? I look at the orders, get an idea of the things that I will be doing. And I include those in my little schedule for the day. Because I work in an intensive care unit and everybody is on telemetry monitoring, then I print an ECG strip. I want to make sure I know which rhythm they are in at the beginning of my shift so that if it changes, I am clued into that. And the next thing that I will do is get some alcohol swabs, some end caps, make sure I've got my pens, my hemostats, my scissors, my stethoscope. Those are the basic items that I have on my person at all times. And then I feel like I am ready to go in there and do my assessment of the patient. So that's basically start of shift routine. It involves getting report, looking at uh, the patient in the computer, If I have time, I'll read the H&P. If not, I'm going to come back later and do that after I do my first assessment. Looking at orders, printing a strip, and figuring out my schedule, meds and interventions. The next routine that I will share with you is called my first assessment routine, the FAR. And this is what I do when I go into the room and do that big first assessment of the day. So this is in a couple of different parts. There is a patient assessment and then a room assessment. So for the patient assessment, I'm obviously going to be doing vital signs in the ICU. It's really nice because a lot of their vital signs are automatically obtained. But if not, I'm going to get that data. I'll do a thorough full head-to-toe assessment, even if they're just in there for, you know, a GI issue. I'm still going to check neuro cardiac, lungs, peripheral, everything. We're going to do a full head to toe. I'm going to ask the patient about pain, shortness of breath, things like that, things that I can definitely fix right away and see if they need anything, what their plan is for the day, update them on the plan of care and make sure we're all on the same page with our goals. And then I will start doing what I call my room assessment. So I'm going to verify that I have all the safety equipment present that I need. Suction tubing, something to suction their mouths with, like a yank hour. I want to make sure the oxygen's working, that there's an ambu bag. I know where it is. Sometimes it gets moved around. Sometimes if it hasn't been used yet, it's still in the plastic baggie. If I suspect that I'm going to need to add supplemental oxygen... I'll look around and see if it's already in the room, like an oxygen mask. One of the things that bugs me when this happens, and I've learned to just assess for it right away, is when the oxygen tubing for, say, your non-rebreather is all tangled up and and it's kind of wrapped around the little oxygen thing on the wall. When you need a non-rebreather, you kind of need it right now. And if the nurse before you has left everything a tangled mess, it can take a little bit to unwind the tubing and the strap from the oxygen mask. And all the while, your patient is satting in the 70s. So I always make sure that those things are within easy reach and accessible and usable right away. 
I will untangle my IV lines. If I don't have time to do a full, if they have a lot of IV lines and they're a tangled mess and none of them are labeled, if I can, I'll do that now. That might have to wait a little bit if I've got more pressing things. If I've got a patient with that many lines and, and so many drips that it's a little confusing, they're probably really sick and there might be other things I have to do first, but I am going to make sure that I get those lines t untangled, labeled ASAP. What I am going to do before I leave the room is trace med that's hanging to the pump, make sure it's the right med to the patient. And if I notice anything incompatible running together, that's a huge red flag. And I would want to fix that. I would want to check to see which supplies are already in the room that I think I might need so that I don't double up on bringing things in and so that I know what to bring next time I come in. If I can, I'll give the room a quick tidy up. Some nurses are slobs, I will be honest. And I feel like the first hour of my shift, I am cleaning up after them. I think patients deserve to live in a clean and tidy organized room that's their home for a few days, a few weeks, for some people a few months. They deserve to live in a nice environment. So I will tidy up the room. I like knowing where everything is. I like having space to work, clear space to walk. To me, a tidy and organized room is a safe room. So if I have time to do that now, I definitely will. I will reposition the patient if they cannot reposition themselves. Empty the Foley bag, empty the urinal and do pretty much that's the basics for my first assessment patient and room routine. Obviously, um, things come up and things change, but this is the perfect day we're talking about. Then I am going to exit the room. And before I exit the room, no matter when, what time of day or what routines I've already done in that room, I'm going to do what I call a spot check. And this is making sure the bed's low and locked. Okay, super simple little thing. Call lights within reach. Their table and all of their things are within reach. If they're using the urinal, make sure that's within reach. Um, and then asking, what can I bring next time I come in? If the patient knows you're coming back in 30 minutes or an hour, then this really cuts down on the waitressing, what I call the waitressing aspect of the job, because they can tell you then, oh, I'd love, you know, a fresh pitcher of water. And you can bring it, and it kind of cuts down on the call lights. So making sure, you know, safe, the bed is safe, the patient is safe, they have what they need within reach, and what can I do next time I come in? So that takes care of start of shift your big first assessment, your spot checks every time you leave the room. And well, I'm not going to say, you're not going to say, what can I do for you next time I come back in every single time? Because that starts to sound staged and annoying. But if I'm not going to be back for a little while, I definitely will. Um, where I work in intensive care, we're in and out of the room constantly. So it would get a little repetitive um, if I if I did that every time. But I will do it more often than not. And then I have my end of shift routine. I have to tell you guys, this is my favorite one. I wonder why. So um, my end of shift routine starts around 5 p.m., 1700. End of shift is at 1845, but I start wrapping things up around 1700. And what I will do is 
when I'm in the room, I will, if I've left a mess, I'm going to tidy up after myself. If the Yankauer tubing has gotten nasty over the course of the day, I'll replace that for the night shift because I'm a nice person. I will get my I's and O's. As a unit, we do our I's and O's at 1,700. Some units do it at 1,800, which I think is foolish because then your last 30, 45 minutes, whatever, are just really busy anyway. And now you're adding on doing your I's and O's. We just do it at 1,700, though it's not technically end of shift. It all comes out in the wash because it's still a 24-hour total when it's all said and done. So I'll clear my pumps, calculate my I's and O's, Look through the orders one more time. See if there's anything I missed. If, it, if it's something I can get to in the next hour and a half, I'll happily do it. If it's not going to happen, like maybe a trip to MRI and they're backed up for a few hours, I just want to make sure that night shift knows that there may be some holdover things. I check my IV bags. I want to make sure nothing's going to run out within the first hour of the oncoming nurse's shift. I hate coming in and you're already busy doing that full head to toe, all that charting, and then you're replacing IV bags. So I try to be nice and either hang a, uh, like an extra bag behind it so that it's ready to go. If it's already pretty close to the end, I'll go ahead and change it, especially if it's just something like fluids. I will reposition the patient one last time around then and catch up obviously on all my charting and my vital signs. Make sure any unfinished business is done and I will go through my report sheet and add information in. I'll use the same report sheet that I used that morning and I will just add things in, things that changed, things that were added, things that were done, new orders that came in so that I can give a really good end of shift report when the night shift gets there. So speaking of end of shift report, this is a skill I'm telling you guys that I think is really not focused on in nursing school. I just, I could teach a little class on this, but, um, You'll notice when you're working that if someone's giving you end of shift report and they're going all over the place talking about IV access and then their bowel sounds and then their peripheral pulses and then their somnolence and then <laughs> their diet, you are just like, what? So end of shift report, I've got a podcast about giving an awesome end of shift report. So check that out. It's one of the very first ones. So Please excuse the production quality. I didn't have my awesome microphone and my awesome podcast editing guy at that time. We are so big time now, you guys. Just kidding. Um, it's me and my cat right here. You can probably still hear him once in a while. But, um, you know, listen to it with an open heart because it doesn't sound as great as we do now. But the information is still really amazing and it gives you kind of a, a run through of how to do that. So if you're nervous about giving end of shift report and working on that skill, practice it. So the other day with my orientee, before we did, um, it was an end of shift report. It was uh, the big rounds with the whole group. And I wanted her to shine like a beautiful, bright star and for everyone in the team to think she's amazing because she is. So we practiced giving... Um, report to the medical team and it was awesome but then she had to go somewhere and I had to do it myself so <laughs> but still practicing it is fine even if you're just kind of going over in your head and talking quietly to yourself you don't have to go find a buddy to do it but just go over say the words and you'll feel a lot more confident when the time comes to give report 
So that is basically what I do with my routines. And, you know, depending on where you work, how critically ill or how dynamic your unit is, maybe you're constantly getting discharges and admits, um, maybe you work in an ICU where conditions can change rapidly, there's always going to be this ebb and flow. You obviously have to stay flexible, but having a routine to fall back on when you're stressed can really make you feel less discombobulated. I cannot stress enough how important that is. So I want to give a little shout out to a couple of people. Okay, so I got this note, this email the other day, and I hope it's okay if I use your first name, but I'm probably going to say it wrong, Rochana. I think she wrote and said that she is struggling to study. And I thought, well, this is probably something that hundreds of other students are having an issue with. So I really wanted to just reach out and talk about this real quick on the podcast. Um, She says, you know, she hasn't really found the best way to study. And if I could shed some light on some study techniques. And I just want to say, girl, you are in the right place. So if you guys are ever at the website and you have a question, you can always send it in on the contact form and I'll get an email. Um, And then I respond to those personally. So they come back to your email address. It's not a response that's posted on the website. So um, don't go looking for a response on the website. Look for it in your email. Um, But anyway, you can also Type in the topic you're looking for in the search bar. I've moved it. It used to be at the top, but now it's at the bottom right of the sidebar. And type it in. So if Rochana, whose name I'm probably saying wrong, sorry, honey, goes to that and types in study, a whole bunch of stuff is going to come up about study techniques, study tips, this and that. So the very first thing that I would tell her and all of you about studying is very first thing you want to do, and you've probably done this about 10 times, but if you haven't, take one of those learning styles assessment quizzes, and that will really help you tune in to are you a visual learner? Are you an auditory learner? You know, all of those different types. I don't know if it's lucky for me or a curse, but I'm like equal across the board. So I really feel like for me to learn, I need to look at it. I need to hear it. I need to feel it, do it, touch it, practice it, say it. I have to do all of those things in order for it to stick. Some people are, you know, very visual and they can just draw a diagram and everything clicks. Or maybe listening to this podcast because you're an auditory learner is what makes it click. So finding out what makes it click for you is going to be super key. Um, I go over in my book a very detailed study kind of method that I believe in wholeheartedly. So if you're really interested in diving into that, you can check out the book. But go to the website, type in study, and there's going to be lots of tips, techniques, advice, strategies on there for you. Okay, so I believe I emailed you back personally, Rochana. So I hope that it helped and that you are feeling much more confident. And you're not mad that I read your email on the podcast. But I really think that you brought up an awesome question that tons and tons of people are struggling with as well. And then the 
other one, this is Amy who says, wow. Okay, I love it when feedback starts off like this. It's like, oh, somebody's happy. She says she wishes she had found the blog sooner. You guys have no idea how often I hear that. She's graduating soon and is struggling with pharmacology. Um, The pharmacology class she took was online. She didn't really retain anything and wants to know if I have any advice for actually learning medications. So with pharmacology, this one is a tough one. My pharm class was pretty much online as well. I had an awesome pharm teacher, really smart gal, but she also knew that when you're working in the hospital, you have every drug reference available that you could ever need. And you don't need to have the exact dosages of labetalol figured out and stored in your brain. Okay. Your brain's going to be full with other things. Okay. And this is not information that you have to walk around with. So, um, The way she taught our class was you could go to the live class if you wanted and it was recorded and or you could watch it. And I usually just sat at home with a glass of wine in my pajamas with my cat and watched it. And then you had quizzes that you had to do every week, a pre-quiz and a post quiz. So the pre quiz was on a level zero to 10 difficulty, like a five, but the post quiz was like an eight or a nine. So they were open book, open internet, open friend, whatever you needed, but they were hard. They were tricky and you really had to dig through your resources to find the right answers and use your critical thinking skills. So the way I learned pharmacology was honestly, I learned pharmacology by learning what my resources for pharmacology are, how to research things, how to look them up, and how to apply that knowledge. So I didn't. I don't even remember. What is the average dose for levetalol? 10 milligrams, I think. I only know that because I use it all the time. So my point is to really like learn, learn, learn pharmacology. You're going to learn it as you use it, basically. Um, I would say in the hospital... There's a core group of drugs that are used. And depending on where you work and the type of place you work, you're going to get to know those core drugs really well because you're using them and applying them all the time. Occasionally, maybe once a week or so, I will come across a drug I've never heard of or haven't used in a really long time and don't really remember anything about it. Guess what I do, guys? I look it up. So before I give the medication, I look it up. I have never once given a drug that I don't know what it is, what it does, or why they're taking it. So for learning pharmacology, I would say just try to apply what you're learning day to day with real patients. If you really need to memorize things, The only really great tip I have for pharmacology is from my psychopharmacology podcast. That's the one because we did have to know a lot of the like side effects and and monitoring parameters for those drugs because they're they're kind of intense medications. So I made up really goofy songs or stories. I think there were stories and songs. I believe I sing in that podcast a few times. So that was something I did. It was just a trick of the brain. 
It was more used for memorization, but sometimes you just have to at least memorize a couple of things. So if you guys go back to the, um, go through the podcast and look for the one about psychopharmacology, it's there. If you're more of a reader, if that's how you learn, go to the website, look for in the search bar, psychopharmacology, and you will see the little stories that I wrote to help me remember the side effects and things of the psychopharmacological agents. And then I want to give a huge thank you. If anybody from UNLV is listening, I heard from one of your students that she was going to buy my book, but her nursing program bought it for the incoming students. That is awesome. I didn't even know that happened. So um, I am so excited. That just that just fills up my heart with, with happiness. So if you are a student there, you're going to get my book. Apparently, I guess that's what this gal told me. So um, that is amazing. And if you haven't seen the book or read it, check it out. Nursing School Thrive Guide. It really is awesome. I know I probably shouldn't talk about my own children that way, but it really is awesome. So I guess that's about it for routines and uh, a couple of questions on the website lately and kind of interesting patients I've been having which you know as a reminder we'll be talking about asthma status asthmaticus uh, coming up soon I think I'll do that within the next month I'll put it on the schedule so take care guys if you have not yet rated and reviewed us on iTunes please do and thank you to everybody that did that's so sweet you guys are so nice Um, I love it I love reading the comments So let's do more of those. When you rate and review, it helps us rank. It helps other people find us. And nursing is all about sharing knowledge, sharing love, and sharing support. So if you do that, then other students can find it and you can kind of help support the whole shebang in that way. So take care. Have a great day. I hope you were doing something fun while you were listening to this. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by straightanursingstudent.com. Copyright Mo Media. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night.